You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Hi friends, welcome back to Bodyful. I am so glad that you're here listening. I have had a whirlwind of the past couple of weeks, had a wonderful trip home to Texas to visit family and friends. Um, We have a trip coming up next week to Puerto Rico, and uh, it's almost weird to be traveling again because it still feels kind of wrong. Um, But, you know, we're busting out the N95s. We saw Alanis in concert and John Legend and... Um, I broke my toe stubbing it at our team social that we had for the Gaia Center. We also did new photos that we'll be super excited to share soon. And yeah, and also our new Gaia Center therapist, uh, Caitlin King, officially arrived in Nashville from Seattle. So I can't wait for... um, those of y'all who are local to have the opportunity to meet her hopefully we'll get to do some open house stuff at some point in the near-ish future um and just a reminder that whether you are local or not sign up for our gaia center newsletter that comes out about once a month we do share some things that are sort of locally relevant like groups and offerings Uh, from our therapists, but also blog posts, podcast episodes, and things like that that um, are relevant for everyone. So sign up for that at bit.ly slash the Gaia Center News, or you can find the link at our website, gaiacenter.co. Our guest today is the wonderful Rachel Allen. I was just lucked into discovering her. I got an email from her publicist. I'm sure that when she found my podcast, she was like, oh my gosh, this podcast is like designed for this book. So um, Rachel's book is just, you'll hear me talk about it in the interview, but it is sort of an incredible amalgamation of like all of my own personal passions and what I uh, feel are some very important and powerful topics. So could not recommend her book more it is called the pleasure is all yours reclaim your body's bliss and reignite your passion for life and rachel is a therapist sex therapist uh yoga teacher etc the book includes some about sex and sexuality but it really is truly about pleasure on the whole which is so powerful so needed i'll share a little bit more about Rachel, and then we will jump into the conversation. 
Rachel Allen, PhD, is a licensed clinical psychologist, certified yoga instructor, public speaker, and relationship columnist. She's the founder of Yoga Psych PLLC, a psychotherapy practice for adults that blends Western medicine and Eastern philosophy and connects mind and body. She's been in private practice for almost 15 years, working with individuals and couples dealing with sexuality, intimacy, and relationship problems, as well as trauma, depression, anxiety, and loss. Rachel has been quoted in books and magazines, including Yoga Journal, Women's Health, Outside, Good Housekeeping, and Cosmo. For more, visit her website at drrachelallen.com. That's Allen, A-L-L-Y-N. And her Instagram is also at drrachelallen. All right, let's jump into this conversation. I know you're going to love it. Dr. Rachel Allen, thank you so much for being here. I am super excited for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Yeah, I was uh, mentioning before we push record that this book um, that you wrote, which we'll be talking a lot about today, I'm like, my future self, I feel like would have, this is the book that I, I don't know that I'll ever write a book. I don't think I have the attention span for it. But if I did, it would be like this book. It's amazing. It's just all of the things um, that I feel are so important about mental health, wellness, just living a good life and kind of our modern culture. Um, It's amazing. So I can't wait to talk about it. We're here to our our shared interests and beliefs. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So before we jump into the conversation, let's take a minute to land together. And listeners, as I always uh, say up front, if you are somewhere where you can join us and either close your eyes, let your eyes uh, be soft, then feel free. If you're driving your car, just listen along. So as you settle into your seat... And just notice the sensation of the surface supporting you. The earth that's holding up that surface. The breath naturally flowing in and out. Air becoming breath. Breath becoming air. And as you take this moment to slow down and drop into yourself, just noticing as much as possible without judgment what's there, what's showing up on this particular day, in this particular moment. Thoughts, sensations, emotions, anything your body wants to do to wiggle or move or reposition, and what's on your heart. Just honoring whatever shows up in your awareness. Taking one more full breath in. 
and out. Gently blinking the eyes open. And what did you notice that you can share with us? I was noticing where I was at in this moment relative to my other check-in moments earlier today, because I do tend to really make sure to sprinkle in these pauses. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes, in fact, I can stand to do it less. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just like really kind of checking in and sort of the, the level of calm, this mix of calm and excitement that I feel where I felt it. Really, my eyes were asking for a lot of attention, I think, just, you know, with screens and I'm sort of in transition wearing glasses. So I was really wanting to send some love to my eyes and just thank them also for hanging in there and really showing up for me. Mm -hmm. um, and really wanting to center. So giving a little breathing and love to my belly. Um, I think that's the main, yeah, those are the main things that came up for me somatically. Mm, beautiful. And I'm so curious when you say I could stand to do it less. I feel like uh, for the, for most folks, um, granted who are maybe not yoga teachers and somatic therapists, um, they probably need to do that kind of check-in a lot more. What makes you say that maybe you could do it less? Well, I think if there's anything that I believe in it's really this middle path there's mm. many things that, but this is one that has really been tried and true for so long is the middle path and so i think of mm. how there can be ways in which we can be stuck in our heads and really the, the thinking mind and those beliefs uh just as there's ways we can be uh stuck kind of over consumed or hyper vigilant about our somatic selves and yes um, you know and and get caught up in what it means there, what is my breath telling me or what is my, you know, each muscle or this ache or this pain. And then that can get to a point too, where we, you know, it's all cause and effect between and, and this constant communication between the mind and the body. But, but yeah. there's a way in which sometimes we can get too worked up about what we think that we notice in the body or what it's yeah. telling us do with that. I, I'm so glad that you, um, that this is coming up because it's, yeah, it it really is the middle path with everything. I uh, we were talking also before about um, the conspirituality podcast, and I remember I heard one of the one of the hosts of that show interviewed, I think somewhere else, and he was talking about how um, kind of similarly how like actually we're not aware of all of our body sensations and body cues. And if we were, it would drive us fucking mad. Like it would be, it, we couldn't do anything, right? So um, hyper awareness, hyper vigilance is uh, rarely super helpful in any capacity. And right. and yeah, I do think that, that sometimes in the effort to, um, especially we're learning like a new language of the body, we might sort of... Uh, swing to the opposite pendulum of like over interpreting and analyzing everything. And like, even I'm thinking of, of um, a session yesterday with a, a wonderful client who gets sick a lot. And, mm -hmm. and so she's been told by so many people and continues to tell herself, like, what am I doing to like make myself sick? Like, am I 
this must be psychological. And and while she's explored a lot of pieces of what where there may be connections there, I think it can also lead to a lot of like self-blame and victim blaming around like sometimes yeah. just like we have neurodivergence, we have different capacities of our immune systems and and all kinds of bodily organs and functions. So, um, yeah, yeah. I just appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. And, but that, yeah, to caution people to not go to self-blame, I guess that's a whole nother podcast episode too. (laughs) Absolutely. So, well, and I will say that, um, before we jump into sort of the one of the big thesis points of your book and your work, um, I just wanted to also really express appreciation for how it's very clear to me in your book that you weave in all of the sort of issue systemic issues um, like around social justice and things that we we might say that if if we were looking at this kind of work without that lens, there would be and is in those spaces a lot of sort of victim blaming that goes on. Um, and so I appreciate how much you weave that into your work and your message and the way that you view um, humans and, and your work in the world. Um, it's a very... I would say eco-psychological kind of lens uh, that I really align with. Um, and Thanks. also, yeah, and I think your approach to bodyfulness, uh, I'm, I'm, at some point I'm trying to get Dr. Christine Caldwell on the, the podcast, but, but your book is almost like if I were to imagine, you know, bodyfulness is sort of like the theory and the thesis, and your book is like, and here's how to do it in your life. <laughs> right. Well, what's interesting is that I started to use the word and conceptualize and practice it before I really knew anyone else using it. And it was probably uh, was right when I was developing, I was about to do a TEDx talk mm-hmm. on bodyfulness and pleasure and um, that I learned about Christine Cal- Caldwell's book called Bodyfulness. And I was thinking, oh, gosh, I wonder how it's similar. I wonder how it's different. And also I was excited about the fact that it's gaining traction. It's growing. It's, we need this. We, I want this word and this concept in our more everyday vocabulary, like mindfulness is. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things when I did read her book then was notice, um, and I, she's so brilliant, um, but that we, we are a little bit different as far as, yeah, how we might conceptualize it or how it is, is pr- practiced and lived and, um, I, yeah, mine is, is sort of a lifestyle and a philosophy and a method. Yes. Yeah. And there's so much depth to that, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into pieces of it, but definitely everyone should pick up the book to get all of the different layers of that. Um, so if we look at sort of why do we need a book like this? Why do we need a framework like this to begin with? Um, I wanted to share this little snippet from early in the book uh, where you say, it's not surprising that I see so many clients independent of age, race, and economic status who don't trust their bodies. If our actual life experiences aren't validated and mirrored by our caregivers and culture, we later question our inner knowing. This leaves many adults still detached from their physical and emotional body or from how their physical or emotional body works, how to listen to it, how to soothe it, how to move it, or what it needs and likes. If you aren't able to listen to your body's various pleasures, to luxuriate and savor them, 
chances are you won't be able to find satisfaction in the many delightful aspects of life. Instead, you may end up with little capacity to appreciate yourself, heal yourself, connect with your joys, and connect closely with others. So I thought that was just a very apt, uh, yeah, oof is right, a very accurate uh, sort of synthesis of the problem, the dilemma that we are in, in our culture. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say just about our sort of cultural dis-ease of, of disconnection. Uh, well, I really, that there in the beginning of the book, in that first section, it's, it is really understanding, yeah, what is the problem here and what are the mm -hmm. barriers and not to depress people, but to say that it isn't your fault and that with this awareness, you do have opportunity to do it your way, true to you, to your body, and it exists within you. Um, but that there is a real ripple effect um, to being disembodied and the epidemic of disembodiment we have, mm -hmm. the epidemic of body terrorism and body othering. Um, there's a, there, it's part of um, one of the many oppressive systems. And so, yeah, something about me can't help but think, even though I work one-on-one -on -one and with couples, um, I really always think about the larger systemic issues and kind of our, yeah, our, our history and, and our culture and how, what a huge influence that plays as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, you know, how we really need to work with that problem at every level, right? So it's like, yes, it is. That is where sort of the the political is personal and vice versa and how we need to change so many things. Um, and including the way that we show up in the world is one of the opportunities that we have for that, just at the individual level, in our relationships, in our families. Um, and really at all of those levels, Pleasure is sort of like the the compass points toward pleasure, right? Um, and hence the name of your book. So we're going to talk about pleasure and um, I'm sure we'll touch on sexual pleasure in particular, but I would love for you to tell us a little bit about just your conceptualization of pleasure, what you mean by it, why it's so important, and also um, like what makes it different from just happiness and that as sort of the compass. Right. It's very intentional that I focused on pleasure. And I tend to be somebody who is really always rooting for the underdog and wanting to call attention to the elephants in the room, so to speak. And so pleasure is, is really misunderstood. It's been demonized. Um, it's been shamed, uh, much like we have. Whereas joy, bliss, and happiness are pretty uncontested. Of course, it's something we all, we all, we all, it's, we all deserve joy and happiness. Pleasure, on the other hand, has had quite a history. It's so loaded, and it's been really reduced down nowadays. It's really uh, been reduced to just sex, even though it is so much more. Um, and sex is wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but this is <laughs> pleasure is really um, it's it's a whole part of our healing. And there's pleasures in all aspects of life. And we think about it from that tantric philosophy too. There can be healing and wonderful pleasures in all different areas of life. Um, however, I also talk about how um, I wanted to work with pleasure because it is really tricky in that um, life will not always bring us pleasure. There's pain as well. And we really need to learn how to balance and self-regulate. Mm -hmm. in order to have a healthy relationship with pleasure. So we aren't running to it um, aggressively or, you know, trying to escape and, and numb in these ways that really make life not 
that pleasurable at all either. <laughs> so it's a balancing act, but at the end of the day, it's moments of pleasure. Those moments are what add up to longer lasting states of joy and happiness. So, so really this whole book is about, let's start from the body up, whether it be bodyfulness up for pleasure, and let's start with moments of pleasure up to feel happiness rather than the mm -hmm. other way around. Right. And, and I think that distinction is so important of like, this is part of where pleasure has gotten a bad rap is by when people are chasing it in a really ungrounded, untethered, like uh, a way of using it as the sort of escape route from the inevitable pain, um, then yeah, it doesn't serve us. Like uh, Jennifer Loudon calls it shadow comforts. It's like you could do, you could have the exact same behavior, but it's like, if I'm doing this behavior and, you know, even if it's like Netflix, for instance, if I watch one hour of Netflix, I feel great. It is just like good self-care, pleasurable. If I watch four hours, it is a shadow comfort and it, no, it just makes me feel worse afterwards. So really paying attention to that individual barometer of where that is. And if we are yeah. chasing pleasure in an, an ungrounded way or, we're moving toward it in a way that, you know, we're being honest with ourselves. Right. Yeah. And that reminds me of Tara Brock talking about false refuge, the false refugees. Mm. I can never say it plural refuges. <laughs> uh, <the laughs> that we are really seeking refuge that can actually cause us more discomfort. Mm -hmm. um, right. But yeah. And, and I think for me, it's all about moderation, seeing it for what it is. Middle path, seeing, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. And that I'm never one to think good, bad, right, wrong, you know, do mm -hmm. this, not that. Really just how is it landing in you and what is your intention behind it? What is driving it? And, in you know, where's the wisdom to to really grow from from that impulse or craving or desire or need to escape? Like what really needs attention? Mm -hmm. That's that's the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and. I think this exploration of pleasure, um, especially like people really need help kind of figuring out what does that mean to explore that in a way that like, yes, there is the whole sexual component. And uh, as much as there are already a million books and everything and resources out there about that, we still need to be talking about it again in a grounded way. Um, but like, how do we do it otherwise? And I loved how you said um, where you get into talking about the idea of like an Epicurean lifestyle. Um, mm. You said, if American culture valued rest, healthy relationships and pleasures and all bodily sizes, shapes and skin colors, we wouldn't have to swim upstream to feel whole. Perhaps we could live a more Epicurean lifestyle. The word has come to mean the pursuit of pleasure with food, comforts, and other luxuries, but Epicurean philosophy is really about encouraging simple pleasures as a way to find tranquility. So that seems like kind of that middle path point of it's not just like, you know, yes, enjoy your foods, enjoy these things, but like it's also the simple pleasures. Right. It could just be as simple as as you are holding a warm mug of tea and it, mm. and it comforts you and um, the way it feels to, to feel the fur of your animal. And mm. a lot of it, I think is connected to water or nature, or earth or co-regulation with others that we feel safe with that are, you know, feel sweet to us. Um, and all of this, it, it can be found 
we can look around and find it in all these different ways, but there's mm -hmm. so much noise getting in the way, either literally and figuratively noise or the messages that say that it's lavish or it is unproductive um, mm -hmm. or it's yeah indulgent. <laughs> and then of course, in, with erotic and sexual pleasures, it's just naughty. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, or only mm -hmm. only okay in a certain time, place, way, appropriate setting. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask about, I mean, I can imagine that even just going outside period, we're somewhat uh, co-regulating with the earth. But when you say that, what are, what are some, um, I don't know, activities or, or ways that come to mind of how we can co-regulate with the earth? Well, and I think that is, you actually brought that spin to it. Um, so I want to thank you. I was thinking of, yeah, how, yeah, like I didn't even say it in that way, but you just really deduced it down to that so very beautifully. Thank you. Um, because a lot of times co-regulation, we think of it in terms of with other people, our animals, but yeah, it, the, the way that, um, just the cyclical and the natural energy and the peacefulness of nature that can really help us to feel greater connection. Um, while at the same time, feel a sense of sort of grounded, centered, here I am, really orienting us to the realities of the present moment. Now, sometimes nature and the outdoors and Mother Earth is um, can not be all that pleasurable. <laughs> You're sure. Camping in a storm, this, like all of these situations. Um, but given that uh, we have nature deprivation disorder going on mm -hmm. and that the largest mass migration has been to the indoors, we really can learn so much of just the sensuality of nature and um, the pace of nature um, to ground us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think about in the book where you talk about Ayurveda um, and yeah, I'm like, oh, so if we, yeah, co, co-regulate or, or align with the natural cycles of the earth and our bodies, like it just... I always get so irritated that it's like we're expected to operate exactly the same, no matter the time of day, the time of year, the, you know, it's, mm -hmm. and, and for, for people who bleed, it's like, okay, because we sort of overcorrected because we didn't want to be seen as like, oh, you're just disgusting or useless for an entire month or week out of every month. Um, then we overcorrect um, because we're sort of made to, um, to be like, oh, well, no, I am the same all the time. That has no impact on me. And it can have a really powerful, beautiful impact. And you are not useless during that week. But um, yeah, just the yeah. what can happen when we pay attention to and allow ourselves to adjust as the daily, seasonal, um, et cetera, cycles of the earth. Right. Yeah, we are. There's all these cycles happening all the time. And we are animals. We are human animals. And people do want to hibernate when it's cold as, as bears would. And I think the more that we try to deny our primal animal selves, uh, which has really been going on for quite some time, we've been trying to force ourselves to be essentially machines and robots. Mm -hmm. And it does so much harm. But the more we can allow ourselves to be yeah, these human animals that have instincts and, and drives and yeah are impacted by other aspects of the earth 
um, and really sultry, sensual, sometimes erratic, sometimes really, um, really thoughtful or more linear, uh, all these different ways and not try to control plan and um, keep us so buttoned up. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the more real we are, the more we are um, really in expression, not repression. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And, and of course we are, we are, as you said, in one of those other quotes, swimming upstream um, to do that in our culture. And I think there's, you know, thankfully a lot of this, there is uh, some shift happening in the mainstream of awareness of the body and, you know, things like body keeps the score, like is practically mainstream in some, some circles. Um, but you know, the tension between sort of, quote, traditional medicine and these modalities of living, ways of living and modalities of healing that have been sort of uh, marginalized, repressed, discarded because they are not evidence-based or they're not, you know, whatever. Um, it's still very much there, that tension. And, and I'm curious, at one point in the book, you mentioned like, I hope that one day, you know, this, this uh, sort of the fact that this is becoming more mainstream, like this will keep happening and that maybe someday it'll be probiotics and not Prozac and movement will be our medicine. So I, yeah. I agree with all of that. And I think it's, it's so hard because it's like, we're walking a little bit of a tightrope. Like I think we're not saying throw out Western medicine and throw out, you know, medication, mm -hmm. but um they don't need to be mutually exclusive. And I'm curious, like, even as a clinician, like, how do you view um, the role of psychiatric treatment in overall sort of mental health care and well-being? Well, there my wonderful phrase, middle path, comes up for me again. <laughs> By nature, I just love to integrate. I remember whether it be college when I had to pick a major right away or in graduate school for my PhD when I really had to pick a particular type of psychology I wanted to focus on. I really just wanted to learn from them all and, mm. and integrate. And then after graduate school, as I got my yoga teaching certification and continued to do just more trainings connected to embodiment and somatic it continues to be this way because we are better together. We are better as we, when we bring it all together, when we, when we bring the amazing wisdom of these ancient contemplative practices and, and we pair it with what we know with some of the wonderful advances due to medicine and science, it doesn't have to be an either or mm -hmm. um, it's, and it's really about, the beauty and mystery of each of us is that we're all different. And so there isn't any one sort of medicine that is, is the right thing. It's, it's this, it's really when we have a toolbox of all these both ancient Eastern practices and ones from Western medicine that uh, we, we have agency, we have mm -hmm. choice That's for what's right for us. Yeah. Absolutely. Was that, and the, that was the original question at this point. I, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. No, just kind of like your role, your view around the role of psychiatric, you know, medication and in terms of um, well-being or mental health treatment. Yeah. yeah. I do think that we, I, I recognize as human beings, we are wired to avoid pain and seek pleasure. And so we want to get rid of our pain by the fastest means possible. <laughs> And so naturally this pharmaceuticals became this quick fix. Um, mm -hmm. But then it really led people to not 
uh, to over rely on them and to not really get to the core, the root of, of what was the wound and what needed mm-hmm. attention and whether, you know, even we, we weren't even aware of ancestral and intergenerational trauma until very recently. I'm sure many people actually still aren't aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the, the problem is when we, you know, anytime there's some just like snap your fingers, life hack sort of thing, I, I tend to not trust that. I think that the only way out is through and with some mm-hmm. practice with, you know, with some study and, and with time and really doing the work of self-reflection. And so that's been one of the main criticisms I've had. I'm not anti-pharmaceuticals. There's a time and a place for that. And it's really, it's saved and changed lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to a lot of kind of emotional and psycho-spiritual health, uh, it's a, a pill might take the edge off and help you have your appetite back or sleep a little better. But to your soul, it hasn't scratched the surface. Right, right. Like, yeah, it's so interesting just following the the sort of, I don't know if controversy is the word, but just the ongoing conversation around like, what is the origin of these quote unquote mental health or mental illnesses, you know, and some people like Dr. Amen's like, it's brain health. It is your literally your brain is an organ and it's things are happening in your brain. And then there's other people who will say, well, it's not a, no one has a Prozac deficiency. And, and it's just, there's still even within the field, so much disagreement. And so it's like, well, medication is medication just treating the symptom and we're not getting, and in many cases that I would say that is the case. It is just treating the symptom if it even does that well, which is questionable. Um, but there are, you know, other cases where it's like somebody can say, I, you know, I've done my work. I've, you know, developed my skills. I've, you know, done the self-reflection and I still feel this way. And that's when we kind of go, there's something bio, biological, biochemical going on. And I have, mm. you know, I, I agree with your sort of just, uh, you know, middle path uh, assessment on this too, because I think at this point in my, in my career, it's like, I've, I've just seen, I've seen it all in terms of, I've seen people who have, have absolutely been willing to do the work and still really seem to benefit from having medication. Um, and I've seen people who have tried every medication under the sun and it's done nothing for them. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would never tell someone, you know, oh, well, that's just a shortcut and and don't do it. But I would obviously invite that integrative approach. And, you know, sometimes it seems to really help whether that what percentage of that is placebo. We will never know. But sometimes it makes a difference and people should have all of the all of the tools and, and options available to them. It's just messy. (laughs) Yeah. And even throughout our whole lifetime, things will change and our bodies and our needs and um, our neurochemistry and everything, things will change and shift. And so there's always this pulsation and Mm. and oscillation, I guess, between sort of where we're at, where we've been, where we need to go. And it's, you know, it's a practice to keep connecting to self, connecting to our environment um, really being honest with sort of what, you know, what, yeah, what needs attention and, um, there's, but there's no shame in wanting to feel better, no shame yeah. in wanting to heal by any means possible. And, um, you know, I think we're all doing the best we can as far as, yeah. well, some people might disagree. I think a lot of people <laughs> yeah. and to, to try to be as healthy as possible to show up, 
you know, and, and they, for them, yeah, taking medication is going to be, it's going to really be a game changer and how they can be a parent, how they can show up at their job. And, and so that's wonderful. I would just say it's a both. And a lot mm-hmm. of times it's a both and, yeah, medication and what is going on with, within your heart, within your mm-hmm. gut brain, within maybe your hormones, uh, within the beliefs and barricades that you put up where you allow yourself or don't allow yourself permission to be human. Mm-hmm. Like all these layers, um, it's infinitely fascinating and hopefully not infinitely intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like there are, there are options. Like that's always what I, uh, the fact that it's, there are all of these infinite pathways and, and things like, well, you could try this. You could try this. Have you explored this? To me, it's hopeful because it's not like you have to do all the things all the time and you have to, you know, have an acupuncturist and an herbalist and this and that, and you've got to have, you know, a whole army of providers and like, not necessarily, but it's so wonderful that we have all of these tools. So they're all there in the toolbox for you to kind of pick and choose and try things out. And like you said, at different moments and seasons of life, like different things may help um, that didn't necessarily feel like they helped in the past. So just remaining open and knowing that um, if you hit that moment of like, oh, I've tried everything, chances are you have not. Right. It's how open-minded can you be? How, um, how, and how good are you listening to, how well are you listening to your body's language as far as Mm. what it's telling you, you know, side effects of the medication or how you feel when you stop and breathe or how this other person's energy, um, that brings out in you. Our body's talking to us all the time and it's just a matter of whether we really are going to listen to it and accept what it's telling us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So another kind of piece of this whole uh, tension between uh, traditional medicine and and these more uh, integrative approaches, you mentioned in your book that on your TED talk, there is this dis- a disclaimer. I, I maybe wouldn't have noticed it on the TED talk if you had, but I was like, oh, yep, there it is. Um, that, you know, warning, like this is a complimentary approach and not medical advice. And, and I would, I would have been surprised by that if given that you're like a freaking PhD licensed clinician, um, if I had not also had a conversation on a few, a previous uh, podcast with a couple of people who had created their own somatic therapy modality that is based in all of, you know, these other modalities, very specific research for a specific sort of clinical issue. Um, And they basically were told by, I think it was APA, but I'm not positive. But we're told by this organization, like, we will no longer approve this training for CEUs if you're using this somatic word. Like, what is this witchcraft, basically? So they had to change the wording and take that word off of everything in order to be approved for the CEUs. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. it's just crazy to me because it's, yeah, you and I could point to all of this research. So I don't know if there's anything like, like, why is that happening? The research is there. What do you think? Right. And I think that speaks to uh, America in particular. That's what I can mainly speak to. But our long history of marginalizing the body and elevating the mind and and that that is the seat of all reason and wisdom. And so and because we fear medicine really can fear the body as far as connecting it to the emotional self. Um, medicine is all about the body and sort of fixing it from being sick. But 
but as it's like it's a car you're just fixing the engine but not really seeing sort of the energetic and emotional body and that and its role in in our well-being uh so that's how i understand it is that um it will take some time uh for I, for the role of our body as a huge resource in healing and emotional healing and, and how it's really connected to be understood. Yeah. And, you know, I think also change is scary for people. They, you know, maybe they did only cognitive behavioral. And so mm -hmm. to think that their method that they learned is different or wrong is I think threatening, you know, whenever yeah. there's sort of new ideas can be when really what I think you and I, and a lot of people that I know in the field are talking about is let's integrate. We're not saying mm -hmm. let's throw something out. I mean, there, well, there, you know, there are, there's something right. But it's, it's really, uh, I know for the TEDx talk there, I was told that not long before mine was going to come out that, somebody had watched one and followed their advice and had, had hurt themselves in some mm. capacity. Um, and I think there might've been, it might've gotten litigious. And so it mm -hmm. really became a liability thing. Sure. And so, um, and I was at first offended because in part, because it was delayed months, even airing mm. and I didn't know wow. how we were going to get on their YouTube. And I remember my dad actually pointed out that he's like, you know, because it did come out with the disclaimer and he said, you know what, you should be proud of the fact like you're really ahead of things like this is a sign that like Ted wants all this innovation. Mm. That's what you and others that work in somatics are bringing. So see it as a badge of honor. Um, and so so I will. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, kind of going back to what we we're talking about before, like, unfortunately, I do think that some of that comes from the fact that the words like integrative or holistic, it's like people just kind of view it as it's all lumped into one category. So it's like if I'm saying, well, you know, I'm a holistic practitioner, mind, body, whatever, um, then I must be like teaching people how to like read the Akashic records and find their birth planet and like using some of these, these other ideas that may be not at all uh, supported by research. Right. Which again, not to say that that inherently makes something bad because there's a lot of, you know, when we look at funding of research where we come against the same issues um, of what's getting marginalized and what's getting prioritized. But I, I mean, I've, I have felt personally betrayed by some of these sort of new age, uh, quote, spiritual teachers who have been using this verbiage. And I think at times even doing a lot of harm for people who need a different kind of help, um, from people who have the proper training and, mm -hmm they're just getting lumped in with body-based whatever mind body integrative and so then no wonder that the, it kind of gives the whole space a bad name that's my own shit, though so oh. i'm not saying you have to have that same experience but that's part of i think maybe where that uh is also something that's not helping the issue well, I feel like it's been the wild, wild west as far as if you can you know, wake up one day and decide you're a, a coach and you make exactly. Website. And, you know, thank you, capitalism. Um, and, and, you know, in some ways this has led to 
some really powerful leaders and teachers that maybe never went to school that yeah. are a real wise gift. And, but then, yeah, I think that I know I've personally, uh, had clients that have come to me because their whether it be their yoga teacher or their coach really, uh, traumatized them more mm -hmm. because of not knowing, not having training. And so that's where psychology and holistic psychology, all of it is, um, it, sometimes doesn't has an identity crisis as far yes. as what is this science <laughs> is this humanities is it and you know it, it'd be wonderful if we could really bring more of the humanness into science and and but it's really yeah, all about measuring and categories and mm -hmm. part of the beauty of being human and is that we have these ever-changing and nuanced ways about us and and i think that's that's part of what i love about psychology and humans and human behavior is the ways in which it's it's a real craft not a science it's and it's about connecting with people and connecting with yourself and intuition and um but but no doubt training there needs to be some, some training um <laughs> and some some overarching you know operation that is um making sure that people, you know, go through yeah. all the, the, the tracks. And, and yeah, I think that your point about it being sort of the wild west is like, it's sort of the inherent challenge of being, uh, clinicians, providers, whatever you want to call it, who are saying, I am not going to be put in a box. I'm not going to like, just use CBT because it's quote unquote, the most, you know, evidence-based practice for treating depression or whatever. Um, but because we aren't going to be put in a box, then it's sort of like, oh, we'll just throw this in here and we'll throw this in here and we'll throw this in here. And and yeah, I just encourage people to really vet, really vet, yeah. you know, the people that you're entrusting with your your care, your um, even your spiritual work. And that's not to scare anyone, but it's just to encourage you to like be picky, you know? Yeah. Well, I think of how in my book and with with how I talk about bodyfulness I really encourage people to let their own body be the, be the biggest teacher and for mm. them to be the expert of themselves. Now, granted, that's hard in a world in which people aren't connected to themselves or their bodies or sense yeah. of self. And But this would be my dream is that we were so connected to our own inner knowing, our own authentic, unique inner knowing and our own needs, our own rights to our limits and boundaries on our ability to speak those that we then wouldn't be taken advantage of when we're mm. vulnerable. Um, because that's really the problem here is a lot of people are, they're vulnerable going to, right. to teachers and then they're more susceptible to, to whatever that leader tells them mm -hmm. uh, and they'll do anything because they want to feel better. And this person seems to have a magnetic charismatic quality that sounds like it's a surefire way to feel better. Yeah. So I say, Trust yourself. The more mm -hmm. we can build trust in our own self, our own self also to ride the wave of ups and downs and, mm -hmm. and not that we aren't ever going to make mistakes, but that we can, we can endure and cope and be self-compassionate through those challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I always liked, I think it's sort of a 12 step quote of, uh, you're never going to like cross under the velvet ropes and graduate from your humanity. Like no matter how much work you do, no matter how much therapy, no matter how much self-reflection, no matter how great, you know, and how, how much you have really trusted your body and chosen wonderful people to work with, uh, you're still going to 
struggle and have pain. And, and like you said, that doesn't mean that if you're in a lot of pain, like you don't have to accept that as your baseline. Like there's maybe things that can help, but you're also never going to graduate from being human. Yeah. And it's being human is, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mistakes can be sloppy. It can be messy. It can also be jubilant and and blissful and sacred. and yeah. yeah. And I think part of like, when you just said that being human is wonderful, my, and my first reaction was like, is it though? We kind of are horrible. We kind of suck. <laughs> um, which is, right. you know, obviously very misanthropic, cynical, um, you know, and I, I'm a big animal activist person too. And, and, and obviously there's all the earth stuff and climate stuff. Like, like sometimes like collectively we do shitty things and we're not always, you know, conscientious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I yeah. think it can make me and, and I know a lot of people feel really down on humans. But I, I think that this idea of bodyfulness is like it's almost, you know, even even a lot of religion has told us like, yes, it's true we are kind of trash. These bodies are, eh, they're just sinful. And, and really the truth and the enlightenment and the freedom is up here. Um, whether it's heaven or it's enlightenment or somehow getting beyond the trappings of this like trash human body and, and, um, this phase that we're in. So I think bodyfulness is really a way of celebrating ourselves. And of course, like it's also the medicine. If we are connected to our animal selves, we're connected to the earth. We're actually invested because the earth is our larger body. Then we are better humans and we're better stewards of these bodies and of the earth. I just, that was my little um, sermon I just had to give. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and for me, I guess I see it as it's, it's the systems that are the problem, not these yeah. individuals, right? Are as just at the soul level and, mm-hmm. and individual level, but it's the systems that we are born into and the you know ancestral traumas that come with it, and mm-hmm. um, and so it it's hashtag it's complicated. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about sexuality. Um, and I loved this example. Do you remember from the book? If not, I'll, I can share that what the example was. But when you were talking about the NPR series that you were listening to, and like the little disclaimer, can you tell that little that snippet? Oh, right. I was. <laughs> well, I was listening. Yeah. To, well, there were two. Actually, there are two NPR stories. The the the. Or well, well, no, two radio stories. There was like the preacher anti pleasure person, and then uh. there was the yeah the. The disclaimer that NPR yep. gave is, or and yeah, yeah. Well, it, I just thought it was ridiculous that there had been basically stories on that was about you know war and gun violence, and then they were going to transition to a really. I was excited a piece all about sexual health, and they did the disclaimer to make sure that the children weren't in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yet, yet, all the violence. Uh... It's, violence is fair game, um, but. But to talk about something that's a life force energy, a regenerative, beautiful thing, um, oh, we don't want the kids to know about that. Right. Yeah. Just so we're more comfortable with violence than we are with pleasure. Right. It's so representative of sort of our our cultural um, dysfunction around sex and sexuality. Um, so 
yeah, how do we even begin? If someone is listening to this and they're like, yeah, I am just realizing how much internalized sexual shame that I have. And um, I don't, you know, intellectually, I get that it's not bad. My body's not bad. But like, that's what I've internalized my whole life. Like, what do we even do with that at the individual level in addition to hopefully trying to do better at the cultural systemic levels? Well, my first thought is to really not blame ourselves and then to really try to be patient with mm -hmm. the journey of getting reacquainted. And it starts really basic with maybe close your eyes as you taste food or how does your feet feel um, when they're barefoot? And, um, you know, what do you... How does it feel when you take a bath or uh, what does laughter feel like within you? Mm. Um, and, and maybe it's just hard for some people that have had chronic and complex trauma to even tolerate being in their body. And, um, and, and that's where you certainly start really slow and sort of titrate up to longer periods of time. But, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think what's hard is I do this with my clients where so much of therapy can be focused on the problem and the pain. And then, and then people will really gloss over and overlook like kind of moments that, feel good or moments of transformation or where they changed a pattern or where they showed up differently. And I really want people somatically to be familiar with how that feels within them on a cellular level. How does it feel to have transformation? How does it feel within to have ease or to feel acceptance or to um, feel that, like I said earlier, that moment of holding your, your warm cup of tea on a cool day? Can, you, can we get more familiar and comfortable with those moments to recognize them and to invite them in and give ourselves permission to receive them? So it's really embodied for me, the first layer of bodyfulness. It starts with embodied mindfulness of, mm -hmm. of listen. Are you listening? Um, are you, can you start to pay attention more and more? Even sometimes when you, what you are hearing from your body's language is, isn't so easy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is, you know, I just think people have to know that there, there is hope, right? That even if this has been so internalized, um, it's pretty incredible to see what can happen when you start to really befriend your body and that it does require the sort of embodied work around it because we can't just intellectually be like, well, I think all of that, you know, sexual shame stuff is bullshit. So then it shouldn't affect me. Right. But it's the limitation of like just the cognitive and talking about it. It's probably not going to be enough. Right. It's yeah. Just talking is not enough. Um, it's, and I, and I think that one piece that I'd want to go into even more so if I re mm. do write another book is the ways like attachment issues also can really show up in the body and make such a difference in how, how we are able to, you know, be in relationship um, because so much also of our healing is relational as well. Um, so, and, and, and the ways in which our attachment wounds can also really be so trigger such somatic responses and nervous system reactivity and um, the fascia to tense up. And so it's sort of a, another element that I think is really fascinating to, for people, I would love for more people to understand sort of what their attachment style mm -hmm. is. Yeah, absolutely. And that would be a whole other show as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about, you know, how the conversation around sexuality just 
it's it's like the whole thing we talked about around kind of chasing pleasure and and how if we're doing it in a certain way and to avoid pain, it's usually going to sort of backfire in some way. Um, and that's just dialed up to 11 when it comes to sexuality, right? Because our culture is simultaneously obsessed with sex and also extremely avoidant and ashamed, like we don't talk about that, right? And it's just the the juxtaposition of that is sort of maddening to to really recognize where we're at with that. And and I think there are some aspects that are getting better, right? There are things that are so many people have read Come As You Are and people are watching ethical porn. And and so it's, you know, I think that we got to look for the um look for the signs that that even this the systems are starting to change. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and to not have it be so polarizing mm -hmm. as far as it's either repressed, you don't talk about it, it doesn't exist, or, you know, women um, just sort of re-objectifying and exploiting themselves, but thinking it's being done kind of in the name of power. Right. <laughs> and that that's where I do think like capitalism and can really kind of confuse us or gaslight us into like maybe not understanding between capitalism and the patriarchy sort of like either blaming ourselves or acting out as a result or women hating on other women or um mm -hmm. you know not even understanding some of these interpsychic forces as to you know why we might be in our body and express our body the way that we do mm -hmm. yeah and and i would say like from my perspective at least um the that sort of uh, maybe, I don't know, overcorrection or whatever we would call it of, of women maybe objectifying themselves or exploiting themselves. Like, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily the case with, I wouldn't assume that a sex worker was objective, you know, exploiting herself or themselves um, because maybe they genuinely love it. However, to your point, if capitalism didn't exist, would sex work exist? People would would just continue to do it because they wanted to do it, but <laughs> they maybe wouldn't need yeah. to get paid for it. So it's the the again the the interlocking systems. Um, but I do think that you know that is one of the things that's so challenging is we we don't want to assume that just because we're seeing a woman you know proudly show her body or even get paid to show her body that she's oh like poor thing like she doesn't realize how exploited she is but you know it's then how do we know when it's genuinely because she's owning it and happy you know and loves the lifestyle or she's carrying around all this unprocessed trauma and it's like whose business is that it's just very complicated <laughs> Right, right. I mean, it's natural to want attention. It's mm -hmm. natural to want to be wanted and validated. And in and, and I think what makes me sad is seeing this, these sort of young girls. Um, yeah, don't know and and they, um, and then it's it. You know, if they do that pose, they'll get more likes and hits. Maybe they can be an influencer. And mm. it's so much about validation from the outside. These external aspects of us as our worth. Yeah. Um, and that, and it's true more and more for non-binary and males. It's really tr true for everybody Yeah, they fit into the categories and then you are, you are worthy. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, um, you know, I, I, I know maybe because I am a woman in my forties, I know a lot of women in sort of their later thirties, forties, fifties, really reclaiming the body that they just never even knew. Yes. Um, and, 
and reveling in that from the inside out, not for the male gaze mm-hmm. and not for the hits or the likes or the building the brand. And that, that genuine coming from that genuine mm-hmm. place is so, so beautiful. And I just, my hope is that young girls could have, uh, could be taught that could be taught that, um, that that's the place it emanates from. Yes. Does it feel good within you just to this stretch or this flowy dress? Not because how some, somebody else, some influencer says it's good, but do you, how do you feel in it? Yeah. Uh, What kind of, what are your senses telling you as far as, as you're adorned, adorned in this outfit, you know, Mm. it's so different. Like it would be so great for women to not have, I mean, anyone to not have to wait until they're 35 to start to get that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Which is interesting as to sort of, what is it about then that age? Maybe it's just people rebel and say, screw it. I'm right. Enough of me being in this body for you in yeah. a performative way for you and mm. pleasure for you. I want to receive, I deserve to receive. I'm mm. fed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's it's a healthy sense of entitlement mm-hmm. and reclaiming that, that's but yes can, why can't it be there all along and i think if it is there all along it can be more of a balance of just give and take throughout mm-hmm. one's life and throughout mm-hmm. one's intimate life of this balance between i give and i receive and because i i am i am filled up i want to give that to you mm-hmm. or because also i just i get pleasure also in you who i care about feeling good but not at the expense of me mm-hmm. i love that Well, I could talk to you forever, but I know we're approaching the end of our time. I'm just so grateful to have been connected with you and um, we'll make sure to share the link to the book and your website and all the things that you're offering um, in the show notes and up front in the intro. But if you could tell people, remind people where to find you online, where to follow you, anything that you're up to that you want us to know about. Well, my main website is drrachelallen.com. It's Allen with a Y, A-L-L-Y-N. Same with my Instagram is um, drrachelallen. Um, and yeah, those are kind of the two main places. I am now putting more on a YouTube channel, um, but on my website is where you can find a lot of events. I love, I love doing just community events and having conversations and discussions. Sometimes that's where I list, I have pleasure parties or um, different classes or yoga classes. And I also have um, winter retreats uh, where we really get to live bodyfulness and pleasure day to day. It's so much transformation in an eight day retreat. Uh, oh, I bet. I'm like, I want to come. <laughs> uh, no, I understand it's the challenge of retreats is they're expensive and, sure. and you know, the privilege to get away and to go. And so I would love to somehow someday just have day long mm-hmm. donation based retreats. And so maybe that'll, that'll be, I'd love to have a center for bodyfulness at some point. That's sort of within the next couple of years, well, which know. also is where I would want to have young girls, younger girls and kids be able to really understand bodyfulness and, and their right to pleasure as part of their sexual health. Mm, absolutely. Well, I will be staying tuned on everything that you are doing because I'm. if there's opportunities to connect again, collaborate, I am just so excited to have found your work. Um, the book is The Pleasure is All Yours, Reclaim Your Body's Bliss and Reignite Your Passion for Life. Go and get it. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Valerie. Yeah, I'm, we're, yeah, you're not getting rid of me. We're now that we're connected. I'm going to be following all your stuff too. <laughs> <laughs>
I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it, that would mean so much to me. For show notes, head over to GaiaCenter.co and follow us on Instagram at the Gaia Center and at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. And if you're into animal stuff and delicious vegan food, be sure to check out my other podcast, Vegan and Vibrant. See you next time.